I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Michelle Steinke Baumgard. She's a mother, author, and widow that created a guide to working out grief through the power of exercise and endorphins. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. I'm so envious of you. You have this nice little healthy healing book in front of you, HarperCollins. Harper One published this book and I they received it and I'm so happy because I you 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 become known as a nerd when you have the uncorrected proof not for sale and I just danced around the entire house <laughs> that HarperCollins sent me a free pre-released book of yours and I'm almost halfway through it um, and it's just a great book just oh, thank fabulous you. that means a lot well and thank I, you that really means a lot and thanks for taking the time out and joining my audience with Death by Design. We're, we're always looking for people who have been through experiences, and you, you had to go through a lot to get to the point that, A, um, to write this book, and we can't discount that. And so talk to me a little bit about Mitch. Tell me about him and your life one of my favorite people to talk about. <laughs> so you, Mitch and I were, uh, you know, we, we kind of fell in love after high school, pre-college. Uh, we were best friends and we just clicked from the beginning. And he was, you know, really, I believe, put in my life to help me grow. Although at the time I didn't realize that. I thought I was put in his life to help him grow. And he was such a self-actualized um, person. He, he lived in the moment. He loved life. He was larger than life. He had an amazing, infectious personality, and everyone loved him, and he loved everybody. So, uh, like I said, he's one of my favorite people to talk to, about because he was just such a light, and he brought so much to my life. Now, how long were you married? We were married for nine years, and we had been together for 15 when he passed. So, Long time. Yeah, and you have two children, correct? We do, yep. We, uh, my daughter Addison, who just turned 11 on the day my book came out. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah, and my son Matthew just turned nine. Wow. In 2009, yeah. the life you were living with Mitch and, and your two children radically changed. And can you walk us through that day? Before Mitch passed on October 9th, 2009, you know, I had just kind of hit this personal rock bottom place within myself. I had always been, you know, a, a very type A driven person and that type A driven personality had led me to being super unhealthy, super unfit. And, you know, I think as women, especially, we, we put ourselves in, in these roles where we take care of everybody else and everything else. And then we forget about ourselves. And that's the role I had really taken on. So I was in this really happy marriage, two beautiful, healthy children and miserable with myself. So I really kind of took ownership of my life just about I don't know, eight weeks before that terrible day, and I'm so glad it did because it really gave me solace on that day when I got that news. And basically, we got up that morning. I had just gotten home from a work trip the night before. Uh, we got up that morning. Mitch had a flight interview because he was a pilot, 
and he had a flight interview that morning, and then he was going to go build some hours in um, his dad's uh, biplane. And I went about my day like it was any other day. I ended up texting him around 2 o'clock because he was supposed to join me at my daughter's dance, our daughter's dance class. It was the first time he was going to come watch her dance. And he didn't return my text, which was really weird because normally when he took off and when he landed, the first thing he did was text me just to let me know everything was okay. And nothing. I wasn't getting anything back. So I called his phone. It went straight to voicemail. I called again. Same same thing. And um, while I was at my daughter's dance class, I got the call that they there had been an accident. And they thought it was Mitch, so I needed to hurry up and come <gasps> home. Oh, wow. Yeah, and when you get that call, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty astute, you know, individual. I, I can put two and two together. You know, I assumed very, very quickly when I got that call that he's dead because they didn't send me to a hospital. They didn't send me to the airport. They said, you need to go home and wait for someone from the airport to come see you. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, and the waiting ended in, you know, it went from minutes to hours and hours. I think it was, I don't even remember the time, but it was late into the evening before anyone came out. And this was, I don't know, 2, 2.30 in the afternoon that I got the call. You didn't know what was going on. And your children were younger at the time. I'm sure, I'm sure, what was that like? I mean, because I'm sure you didn't tell them because you didn't know anything. No. Well, my my son was home with my mother-in-law, Mitch's mom. And um, my daughter obviously was with me, and I got her in the car, and she was two weeks from turning three at the time. And I remember driving home, and, you, you know, whenever you get a call like that, hopefully never again in my lifetime, but you have this out-of-body experience. I can't even explain it. You know, you just, everything you read about fight and flight, uh, everything you read about what happens to the body when it goes into shock, you know, it, it, it's times a million. I can't even put it into words the shock that went over my body. Um, I became, I would have, if you'd have told me a week before, this is going to happen in your life and this is how you're going to react. I would have said, you're crazy. I'll fall apart. I won't be able to drive. I became very, very strong. I became very sure of what I needed to do. Um, Taking care of my daughter was absolutely paramount to me. I remember being on the freeway, driving home, and all the traffic was stopped the other direction. And I thought, I'm going to sh- I'm going to turn off and go to the airport. And then I looked at her in the back seat and I said I can't. I can't put her into a any situation where I could compromise, you know, her memories and her her thought process. So I continued to drive home only to find out that that the traffic was actually stopped because of my husband's crash because he crashed just off the freeway. Um, oh my gosh. So, you know, I went home, I immediately my mother-in-law was of course rightfully on the floor and I picked her up and I said not in front of the kids and I sent my kids next door to my best friend's house. And I didn't feel a thing. I mean, I didn't feel a thing. I don't think I felt anything for six months, really. I didn't cry. You're just kind of dead inside. And your body can, I truly believe your body can only absorb and take so much in one heartbreaking moment. So your body does this amazing thing to protect you. Oh, wow. Now, did you and Mitch talk about, you know, if something would happen to you or him? You know, Ironically, we didn't talk about it a lot, but about a year before he passed, we had that conversation. I said, listen, we're parents now. You're a pilot. We need to get some things in order. So we decided to get, you know, a small life insurance policy, even though him being a pilot put, you know, the price way up there. And we went ahead and took care of our advanced directives because we thought, well, this is important. We're parents now. It's important before you're a parent, right? completely. But we thought, well, now's the time. 
And um, we, I knew his wishes. I knew what he wanted done. If something happened, he knew what I wanted done. So it was enough. We had a will. It was enough to um, bring me some, you know, I guess if you can call it peace. But it is helpful to know, you know, I got a call. Mitch was an organ donor, and I knew he was an organ donor, and I knew he, what he wanted done with his organs. But I still got that call at midnight from Donor Network of Arizona asking me you know, if I had, they had my permission, and they wanted to go through everything on the phone. And this is just hours after the investigators have left my house. And even knowing his wishes to be a donor and, and me completely being in compliance with that up until the time when he died, it still was the worst call I've ever experienced in my life. And I still, you know, had the hardest time saying yes, because you have this sense of ownership. That's my person. That's my, you know, that's my other half. How do I give them to you to, you know, pass out? And um, thank God I had his directives. Thank God I knew what he wanted or else me saying, even though I'm a full advocate of donor, of being a donor, it would have been hard. It would have been next to impossible. Well, of course, I mean, you said you were in shock for six six months, didn't feel anything. And I mean, this is hours after, because right. they have to, I, guess, I think the word is harvest. And I don't know if I like that word, but harvest the organs right. um, very quickly to make sure they're viable for other people. I, can, I can't even imagine that phone call, but what a gift. And, and like you, I believe mm-hmm. in being an organ donor too, but man, I, I'm not sure I could have made that decision that quickly. Um, and I'm so well, happy I, that you had, you felt like you knew what he wanted and, and you, it kind of overtook you and, and you went forward with what he wanted. Ooh, what that was hard. Well, and even, even knowing what he wanted, I still had them call back. I said, I need, I, I can't talk to you right now. I can't process this right now. And they said, well, you know, time is of the essence. So I, I hung up, I told him to give me an hour, called my sister, she talked me, you know, she talked me down, and we went forward with everything. But yeah, no, it's, it's uh, there's no words for, you, you can't expect that, you can't plan for that. Uh, it's, it's a terrible, terrible phone call to receive. Oh, wow. I, I, can, I can't even imagine. So, you know, what was life, let's talk a little bit about the six months that you felt numb, and, and how did you become unnumbed um you know (laughs) well you know um such an interesting obviously period of my life sometimes I feel like I look back and and wonder what I missed in that time period because you are so numb to everything in life but the investigator who saw me that night and brought me the news he'd been doing it for a very long time and he after he asked me a whole slew of questions about Mitch and his day and what he was wearing and what he ate um, he got in my face. He took a chair and he got very much in my face and he, he got my eye attention, wouldn't let it go. And he said, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I've seen a lot of families destroyed. What I'm about to tell you is really important. And I, so I, I decided this was something I had to process. And he said, Michelle, whatever you do, don't drink, don't numb your pain in any way, live it, experience it, feel it, and you will be okay. And, um, I, I believed him. You know, I, I knew what he was telling me was important. So while I was numb from shock and physical pain of losing somebody so dear in my life, I knew I couldn't further numb my pain by choosing to drink or choosing to do anything else that would impair, you know, what I was going through. So for the next six months, I just absolutely dove into fitness, which ironically I tell people all the time before Mitch passed, 
if I stubbed my toe wrong, I quit a fitness program. You know, it was like, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I put my shoe on wrong today. I can't go to the gym. I forgot my earphones. I can't go. Um, but <laughs> oh, that's priceless. That's, you, know, you sound so like me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, you know, a lot of most people out there. Um, and I've certainly been there. So uh, for whatever reason, everything in my body was screaming at me. You can't quit on your fitness. I had just started a fitness program. Uh, every, everything in my body said it's super important. You can't quit. And I didn't. And what I found is that I would go into the gym. And, you know, obviously when you've got a one and a new, just turned three-year-old at home, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work whether you're you, there's two parents or whether you're a solo parent. And I was... Um, I was just overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed with life, and I was so overwhelmed with grief and my kids and what I was going to do without him and how I was going to live the life we planned. I, you know, I hadn't thought the process yet of creating the life I wanted to plan. But um, I threw myself into my workouts, and what I found is it was the only place where I didn't feel like the white elephant in the room. You know, everywhere else I went, people looked at me, and they, they tilted their head, and it was all this pity and you know, people were being kind, but they didn't know how to receive me. And when I went to the gym, that, that, that was there a little bit at the very beginning, but then it all went away. And the people treated me normal, which when you're going through grief, you crave just being mm -hmm. normal, having normalcy in your life. And I found that I would run and I would cry. You know, I would scream. I would feel anger. I would, you know, all these emotions you feel when you go through grief. And I would ride that whole roller coaster in the course of an hour and I'd walk out and I'd feel like, okay, I've got this. I can do today. Uh, I can be a solo mom. I can deal with, you know, our estate and everything else, my job. And I can get through it because I empowered myself in this way. And then the next day I'd have to go back to that bucket and refill it. And so that's how I got through the first really two years um, was heavy, heavy fitness. And everybody uses something that is soulless for them. And that was the most powerful medicine that I could have ever had. You know, working in hospice and, and dealing with, you know, death on a, on a daily basis, you see so many types and so many forms of grief. And I, I feel like, like either people don't engage with people who are grieving or they start telling them how to grieve because, and then there's so many other resources out there of, Hey, here are the seven steps. Here's what you need to do. But you took a different direction. And you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's what's interesting about what you're doing. You started uh, this, you co-founded a blog, One Fit Widow, and My One Fit Life. When did you notice that other individuals needed a similar outlet to deal with their own grief? You know, really quickly, um, I left my corporate job about a year after Mitch passed and I became a trainer. And really, I started One Fit Widow out of just a lot of people telling me to stop talking about fitness on my social media accounts because I was driving me crazy. <laughs> I love it. So I kind of started it. I love it. I kind of started it as this chance to just talk about what fitness did for me, why I thought it was important for people, and, you know, of course, give me a place to write my blogs and have outlet for my grief. And really, I mean, it, it caught on almost overnight because I think that the grief world was hungry for somebody to say something new and somebody to have a positive forum. Now, I'm the first to admit grief is not positive, and I'm the first to say we all have our seasons and we all have our down days, and you're allowed those. I am not here to say everything is, is rosy and, and wonderful all the time, but I think there needed 
to be something in the grief world, a conversation where it could be positive. It could be that you can live again and you can have hope and you can be strong and empowered and all these things. And um, I kind of filled that void at that time. Uh, and since then, I think there's been a lot of other great people popping up saying similar things. Well, I, what, how I relate to it, I have a German shepherd that loves to hike. And only hmm. when I feel like I'm in nature and doing, doing hmm. things do I feel fully alive. And, and it's yep. something about nature and yes, you know, the, the gym and working out, but it, it's something about that whole combination of taking care of your body really heals the mind. It really does. Yep. Um, so I, I'm interested because I also left a corporate job and am doing something that is borderline a little bit crazy, um, doing a podcast and writing <laughs> a book too. But I mean, you left this, this corporate world. I mean, what inspired you to do that? Oh, gosh. You know, I was on a long run one day training for a marathon that I was going to do in Mitch's honor. And it just kind of hit me. You know, you go through something like this and you're changed, right? We all know that. You, you, you can't go through death and grief and not be changed from the inside out. And for me, I'd never been a hugely materialistic person, but still I had bought into the whole white picket mm. fence, the whole idea of more is better and bigger car, bigger house. And I realized all those things were, were, were not what were truly going to make me happy. Um, I knew I wanted to help people. I had realized enough that some of the people who helped me that giving back is where true joy in life comes from. And I knew I had something really important to say. You know, I knew that nobody told me to go to the gym. Nobody told me to go out into nature. Nobody told me to go do something adventurous so that I could see I was still alive. People told me to, to grieve, but they didn't really tell me how. Uh, some people did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I figured this is important. This is something that I hope people in hospice say to the people who are there you know, living through the loss. I hope this is something grief counselors will say. I went to my doctor who was very healthy, very into nature and, and exercise, uh, but she was my general physician and I was so cloudy. You know, I had this big corporate job. I had to deal with all these spreadsheets and numbers and I, and I was having issues delineate, delineating down to details. And I said, I'm so cloudy. I don't know if I need an antidepressant or what. I don't feel depressed. And she asked me a bunch of questions and then she said, there's nothing better I can, I can give you in this office than what you do for yourself in that gym every day. Endorphins are the best antidepressant on the market, and they're free. Now, I'm the first to admit there are people who need more than just the gym. I'm not here to say you don't. But at the same time, I thought, gosh, what she just said to me is a game changer for my life. Mm -hmm. So imagine if I can create a ripple and make that a game changer for other people's lives. And it, even if you work in conjunction with an antidepressant or whatever you need for that you and your doctor decide you need, it, it's still a powerful, powerful thing to add to your daily routine. And when you couple it with being outside, like you said, nature, sunshine, uh, fresh air, all of those things are so powerful to help you get through the really difficult times. Well, you're also really big into nutrition. Nutrition is such a huge part of it. And of course, I thought in my life when Mitch died, um, I, I Listen, I can bust the sweat with the best of them. I love to sweat. I love to go hard, whether I'm on a hike or a, at the gym. But the nutrition came a lot harder. It was a lot harder for me um, because I was always one of those people that believed I could outrun or outdo my diet. 
And um, once I started really studying the connection between my mood, my energy level, my, um, my headaches, my sinus infections, all these things that really came back to the food I was putting in my body. And I thought, gosh, people are grieving and we're bringing them, you know, vats of cookies and capsules yes. and all Cakes. these things that we consider to be you know, cake <laughs> Cakes, and, exactly. Yeah. You know, all these comfort foods, um, which everyone does out of the kindness of their heart. But at the same time, what people need is they need love. They need solid nutrition, you know, that is going to help, you know, kind of steady out their mood a little bit as much as you can have it steadied out when you're grieving, not have these high spikes because they've dumped so much sugar in their body. And um, so it's an important component and it's, it's obviously very overlooked. I always joke that I'm going to write a book someday where I talk about don't bring a widow lasagna. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> I love lasagna, but. <laughs> but you lost 60 pounds. I mean, you went through this whole, and you were on this transformation, and this is, I think, really important to say, you had made this decision before you lost Mitch, which I somehow feel was just a miracle, Um, because Mm -hmm. I think you just, it's a flip of the coin, whether you would have, you know, I don't know, but a small miracle, you got into your fitness, and, you know, you lost 60 pounds, but you didn't do this. because you wanted to look good. You did it because you wanted to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I learned very quickly. You know, I think before Mitch died, it was always about how I looked. And then once he died and I, and I really felt and saw the connection between the days I trained and the days I didn't, I I really mapped out and journaled about, okay, I didn't do something today. How do I feel? I feel terrible. I have no energy. My grief is worse. All these things, you know, and um, so for me, very quickly, I had about a year or two after he died where, you know, I did a lot of things that were very aesthetic. I, I did bodybuilding competitions. I ran a marathon. Um, and then it really started to shift for me hard after that point. It was like, look at, look at how much more I'm living now because I'm making fit choices. And what could that do for every person walking this earth, not just grieving people? And that's why my, my husband, Keith, that I've remarried, um, that's why we do what we do, because we want people to live their fit life. We do these adventures with people because we want them to see, you know, I can take someone in a gym and inspire them to live fit for an hour. I can give them a great workout. That's fine. But I've taken people up to the top of mountains, people who've never hiked in their life, and they stand there looking out over, you know, the world from the top of this mountain, and they realize, I'm standing somewhere that hardly anyone will ever stand, and I, my whole perspective and, on life has shifted because of the view I have right now. And that's powerful. That helps people change for life. That is so true. And you bring up Keith, your new husband. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I think I was reading an article recently about Shel Sandberg was talking about how it was really hard to tell other people that she was dating someone after her husband died. Mm-hmm. And how was that for you? Because you're, you're still a widow of Mitch, yep. but life does go on. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about how, how was that for you? I mean, meeting someone new and re-engaging <laughs> and then still carrying on your philosophy. I mean, did some of the other widows frown upon you dating somebody? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So dating Keith, uh, dating anyone for that matter, was very scary. Um, but I always tell people, I got to a place after Mitch died where I was so good with me. You know, really, I, I feel like I discovered who I was without him, which is a big part of the process. I was realizing the life I wanted to live for me and for my children. 
And I knew I still wanted to move forward. And marriage wasn't necessarily in my plans, but I was open to meeting someone. Uh, dated several people and nothing clicked, you know. And then I, I met Keith and he's special and he's amazing. But when I announced it to the world that we were engaged and then uh, I later after we married wrote a blog actually that was went very viral about you know, I won't give up my widow card because people told me I had to change the name of my blog. I couldn't call myself a widow anymore. And this this was other widows. And it really took me back. It, it really, I had to stand back and say, okay, what is with this attitude that everyone has? Because for me, as a remarried widow, it's very simple. My heart is huge. I've lived through hell. Um, I've realized that life is about loving and, and, and expanding and growing. And there's no reason in my mind that I can't say I love Mitch. And there's no reason in my mind that I can't say that I love Keith. They're two completely different humans. They're not, you know, one is not, take, doesn't take away from the other. One doesn't replace the other. But we have this stigma in society where it's like, okay, he's dead and gone. You grieved him. You can't talk about him anymore. You certainly can't say you love him anymore. Um, you have to be solely focused on this new relationship. And I am, you know, solely focused on my new relationship for the most part. But you know, it's like Keith actually explains that he lost his best friend uh, to a plane crash. That hasn't stopped him from having new friends and having love in his heart for new friends. We we lose children. We don't replace them with new children. We always love that children children we lost. So it's just a, a growth for our entire culture, I think. Uh, but there was a lot of grief handed my way, a lot of um, a lot of nasty. I know. Emails, what is that about? Comments. Why? <laughs> Us women, we, we should be cheering you through this and thanking God that, oh my, you, that you, your heart is large enough to, to find it yeah. again. And you know what? Your late husband would so want that for you and your children. And we're so hard mm-hmm. on one another. And I don't know if it's envy um, or if it's, I don't know. And I feel like you drawing the line that you are a widow and you will always be a widow, but yes, you can, you can find happiness and move beyond being a widow, but you will always have that title because it happened. And, and that's sad because you know what, to deny that title, um, of, of that word is saying that it never happened. And that is upsetting and I knew because even hearing Shel Shel Sandberg, um, she said she was getting some, you know, like really nasty interactions about. Well, I, I'm I'm I love my old my husband who died, but I'm trying to move on. I just don't understand that. But I I you know have been following you for a year, and when I started seeing Keith, I was like, oh, this is good because I I. <laughs> I mean, you're such, you're such alive, um, and and you have been through hell, but that should not deny you happiness moving forward. I, I you posted a video the other day when you got your books in the mail, and your <laughs> husband was there, and I have the love and the feeling I felt in that email was just this person, this Keith, the new husband was so proud and so proud yeah. to be a part of this and in your life. It was the most yeah. endearing the way he looked at you and was smiling as you dig, digged open that box. And, and here's the book that you've been, you know, slaving over for the last year or so. Um, it was just really sweet. Um, and I hate yeah. that. I hate people, um, 
are nasty when when thing when good things happen. But we are here to talk about what was in the box, and that was your book, Healthy Living, <laughs> um, a guide to working out yeah. grief. It was published by Harper One. Um, what was the writing process? Yep. For you. you know, the writing process was challenging, and, and I love to write. You know, that's where this all started from. Uh, but for me to sit down and write an 800,000-word blog, it, it streams out of me very, very quickly and easily. But to weave an entire book, and thank goodness I had an amazing editor over at Harper One, um, Hillary. I just adore her. But, um, yeah, it was a big learning uh, process for me and a big ego check and, you know, all those things. It's, and it's nerve-wracking to put your words and your thoughts onto paper and then wonder how it's going to be received. But, you know, I read a lot myself, and I think this process has helped me grow as a human from criticism to, you know, putting your words out there to the world. All I can do is do my best job and then hope that um, when people receive it, that it helps them in some way. You know, that's all I'm looking for is that it speaks to someone, whether it, it helps them understand their own grief or it actually helps them pick on, put on their shoes and go out for a walk. Uh, if that's what people get out of it, then my day, my work is done and I'm, I'm thrilled. Well, I, I'm halfway through it. Um, and it has helped me. And I, I don't think I'm in the grieving process, hey. but it it's a way to look at your life. I left corporate America and, you know, you get in this kind of numbing out phase when you're just not really fully living and you know you're not. So you just like, well, let's numb that out right. even further because I can't deal with yep. it. And I've, I've started back with a gym at the gym with a trainer. And this book I'm reading along my awakening and it's so inspiring to me. Um, it, it really is. So let's talk about the structure. You know, you have part one moving yeah. on part two, the, the healthy healing program. So talk to me about the part one versus the part two. What are you, what are your goals with this book? Well, we wanted to, <laughs> it's interesting. You should ask that because I think that we had so many goals for the book and, and we kind of finally had to hone it down into, into just a few things that we really wanted to tackle because I'm long winded as you probably have already. <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, at the beginning of the book, I, we felt it was important to lay the groundwork. Um, grief comes in all kinds of forms in our life. You know, it, it's, it's, it's obviously death, but it can also be, you know, losing yourself through not taking care of yourself. It can be financial. It can be divorce. It can be a million different things. So we wanted to, um, you know, set up that premise that, that there's a lot of ways grief comes to us, comes to us in life. And, um, of course, tell a little bit about my story so those who don't follow me have that background. But then, you know, talk about people, people why their story is important and set up what I feel are some of the biggest grief myths that are out there. Because as I've looked at the grief world over the last eight years, there's so many things I see again and again and again that we need to enlighten those who haven't. Maybe that's the wrong way to put that. Maybe we won't enlighten them. I mean, I guess until you've gone through it, you may never know. But if we can help people start to understand before they go through it themselves, what people tell me all the time is your writing or what you put here about the myths, makes me feel less crazy mm. because I'm not the only one who's getting this or feeling this. And then in the second part of the book, we wanted to put a, a plan out there um, and make it doable. Um, I think you, you get so overwhelmed when you're grieving, and we wanted to make it you know actionable steps that were small but doable and would make a real sustainable difference in people's lives. Well, what I love about this is, is that it's sort of a workbook. 
because you give space right. in the book to actually allow the reader to journal and to make mm-hmm. comments. And so it's like a book and workbook because you're really serious about saying, hey, let's do this together. Um, and I love mm-hmm. that. And I, I just yeah. really do. And I love that you're looking at grief with a whole new set of eyes, because I think this has been needed for a long time. Um, and you just happen to be telling your personal story in this book and your journey, which that's what it all comes down to. So talk to me, how yeah. can people find you and follow you? Uh, you're, I just saw you were in Bali. Um, and <laughs> I'm wondering how I can just carry your luggage and let Keith, you know, y'all enjoy yourselves. I'll be three rolls back. How can I go to Bali with you? <laughs> so, um, obviously the easiest way to follow me is just on one fit widow on Facebook, Instagram. I don't tweet as much as I should. I, people keep telling me I need to tweet. I don't tweet. Um, but you know, that's a goal. Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Facebook is probably my biggest medium. Um, obviously there's my blog, onefitwidow.com. Um, but beyond that, uh, the book has its own website that's associated to kind of help with the workbook. We have 12 weeks worth of workouts for people up there. We have, um, recipes. We have a community that people can join. It's not a grief per se community. It's more, you're going through crap in life and you want fit and healthy people to hang out with. And so we have regional groups for that. Now, we do what's called Adventure Weekends, and they've grown over the last two years into being international. And we did just go to Bali. We took a group of 30 people to Bali for a week, and it was through our Adventure Week. Um, And it was incredible. Um, My thing, again, is getting people out into the world, reminding them that they're still here to do something great with their life and that they can. We had probably 10 of those 30 people that were that were widowed who never flown without their late husband. A couple of them have never been out of the country. And here they are flying off to Bali with us three or four days after Mount Agoon, which is the volcano that's been threatening to erupt in Bali, went on its highest alert. So, I, you know, when these women arrived in, and, and there, there were some men too, but when these people arrived in Bali, I was just so proud of them because that's, step in and of, the, of itself to get on an airplane when you've never traveled alone, you've never gone international, you go all the way to Bali and there's a volcano. Threatening. <laughs> it was just amazing. And, you know, they just got so much healing out of it. And what we do, uh, we do domestic retreats, we do international retreats, but it's all about adventure. We're not there to sit in a room and talk and, and journal about why we're, we're going through crap in life. We do talk a lot, but we, we're out to show the people that they can do big things. You know, we whitewater rafts. Uh, we actually climbed a volcano, not the active one. That's good to know. You know, in Bali at sunrise. Yeah. And people got to sit there. It's, I mean, people spread ashes. It was amazing. So uh, our weekends are to empower and embolden people to get back to living a great life while honoring the, the person that came before. Oh, wow. And don't you feel, you know, when once you start awakening to the presence of the moment and fitness and you, you feel good, you can connect with anyone exactly where they're at. And you, you, yep. you start, it's that connection that is missing so much in life because we have so many things to distract us. And y'all look like you guys were having a blast in Bali. And it, I, I didn't realize, you know, you actually took people with you. I, I might have to look into this because um, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, we have a blast. Our community is the best. I mean, some of the people who come to our events have been to every single one in the last four years that we've done. 
and they're just the most supportive. Not everybody is, is widowed or grieving. Uh, we have people who come who are just, they've lost themselves, and they so learn from the other people. It's like there's so much acceptance, and a lot of times I'll see with people who are grieving and not, there's so much animosity, like I have it worse than you do or what. No, in our group, for, for whatever reason, everybody's risen above, and everyone's there to learn from the other person in the room, and I, I love that. So I'm very proud of our community because they're, they're rock solid. Well, people. I, I, I look forward to, to meeting them through your uh, social media sites, um, and I will definitely hook into it because I am really implementing some of your healthy living tips in this book. And I, I tell you, I think you are right. The more I go to the gym and push myself with this trainer, you just feel good about who you are. And it doesn't take yep. four weeks. It takes like an hour um, so you don't spend the whole day in the gym. You go, you work out. No. Right. So to, to, do you, how, yeah, how many no. hours do you spend in the gym? Uh, you know, honestly, while I was writing my book, not nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm all in and I'm doing a great job, it, I, at the most, I spend an hour. See? At the most. Um, I also take my dogs on at least a two-mile walk every day outside. Mm. And I breathe in the fresh air and I leave my social media at home. And um, I think... You know, some of my best writing comes after I walk or I've been at the mm. gym. But, um, you know, I have had periods where I've spent longer at the gym just because I felt emotionally like I needed it. I always say the gym is my therapy. But um, I can tell, and Keith can tell. My husband Keith can tell. He'll, he'll look at me and say, you haven't been in the gym today. How do you go? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so, you know, what was it like to be sitting at home and get the call from Harper One? How did this whole book thing happen? Yeah. Well, the book thing, I wrote a blog the other day, and I don't know if you saw it, but it was about all the the crazy coincidences that went with my book. And I wrote a blog probably two years ago. I just talked about it a few minutes ago, but it was, uh, I won't give up my widow card. It was, I, that wasn't the name, but it was something like that. And it went very, very viral. That was the one that got me a lot of hate mail. And <laughs> Poor thing. It also got me, I also received a new follower um, through that blog, and it was the wife of my now agent, uh, Mel Berger, with WME, and um, she's a widow. She's remarried to Mel, and um, she started following me, and she, I guess, fell in love with what I was writing and what I was saying, and so she showed Mel my um, my blog, and she said, get this girl a book deal. Well, Mel emailed me, and I thought it was a joke um, because I started researching Mel and seeing who he was and thinking, well, he must have made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And he emailed me uh, about uh, potentially writing a book proposal right around the anniversary of my husband's passing in 2015. My husband passed in 09, but he he emailed me that same week in 2015, October 9th. And we talked while I was in an adventure weekend in Tahoe. And so I wrote him a book proposal. I wrote him another one. I wrote him another one. There were several rounds of edits before he thought it was right. And he finally liked the one I, I got to him. And he said, okay, I'll be back to you within a week. And within a week, we were on the phone with HarperCollins, and um, I was on the phone with them the day of the first date of my now husband, Keith, was the first time I talked to HarperCollins. And then um, within a month, we had the book deal, and HarperCollins released a press release. The press release came out on my late husband and I's oh, wedding wow. anniversary. And then a month later, we signed the legal contracts, and that happened on the anniversary of my marriage to Keith. <sighs> Gosh. <laughs> so um, it was kind of a whirlwind. Um, and then, of course, a year later, the book came out on my daughter's birthday. So I, I believe in signs. Me I too. 
that I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I do believe everything is connected. Mm. And so all those signs proved to me that there was there was more into the universe than I knew. Well, where can people find this book? So they can obviously anywhere books are sold, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, Target has, I've seen Target sightings of my book, but they can just go to my website, which is healthyhealingbook.com and all the links for all the retailers are at the bottom and um, they can order it through Kindle. They can order it, you know, in a paperback. And um, Have you yeah. done an audio of it yet? Nope. I haven't done an audio version of it. I've been asked a lot. I think that I don't know how the publishing work, world works as well as I probably should, but I think that's going to come down to sales right. so far. Um, I'm doing really well in all the new release charts. So if people buy, it certainly helps. If they call Barnes & Noble and ask for the book, it certainly helps. Well, I'll call mine today, even though I have one. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I believe in the story. And you are a writer, but not many people become authors. And I believe your message is going to radically change the whole community of grieving. And I applaud you for that, for taking that risk and not giving up your card, your widow card, but to still keep giving um, and changing people's life, even beyond the grieving, but physically and mentally with health and fitness and nutrition. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm just really proud that you have this book. Um, it is a testimony of of your journey. And, you know, as a fellow writer myself, it is it is a rebirth when you when you write something and it's cleansing but man it's a it's a painful journey sometimes so I'm congratulations well thank you thank you and thank you for the work you do because it is so critical and it's not something people want to talk about but it's important really important well thank you this book is going to be just I'm hoping a bestseller out there and I'm going to plug it every chance I get But again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your message. Love to your family. Keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully our paths will cross very soon. I'd love it. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.